uh, Stephanie just mentioned there, but I did want to bring your attention to the stuff that we're doing for Christmas. There's four different things that we're doing. We're doing a, a children's Christmas program here. Uh, we're also doing a uh, all-day Christmas thing that has breakfast and then a, a, uh, another production that evening. That's we're, we're doing that specifically to draw people from the community. And, and by the way, you have to sign up for that first thing. That's what she was talking about. We're already, we're already over, well over halfway signed up for that, and almost nobody from our church has done that. Not that we're trying to encourage you to do this. It's actually an outreach. We want people from the community to, to show up. But what we don't want to happen is for you to show up uh, with your kids or grandkids and say, hey, why can't I get involved in this? Though it's a very specific sign-up because of what we're doing uh, with the, the, all the breakfast and the nativity and all the different things. And then we've got our Christmas Eve service on Sunday night, uh, so, so all of these things together, there's just a lot of things that we're doing. Make sure that you know what, what the days are, what you want to be involved in, who you want uh, to, to be in, if you want kids involved or whatever the case is. We're, we're trying these different things to specifically be very intentional about reaching into the community and connecting the uh, Christmas message with some of the people in our community. So, so just, to, just to remind you that, we've been showing some videos over the last... A uh, few months about some ways to be connecting, uh, for you to be connected and con- and to be connecting. There's there's two basic ways we look at it. We want you to get involved. That's that's what it is. We want you to get involved relationship wise. We want you to build relationships, uh, be part of the family of God, do that kind of thing where it's, there's growth, there's there's connection, and then also we want you to get involved in doing stuff. Um, the I have had some comments of after the uh, shooting in Texas. Well, can we get involved with security? Do we have security? We do have security around here. We do have uh, trained security, but we definitely need people involved regularly. And so we mentioned that a few weeks ago in one of our videos. And so the answer is yes, you can get involved. Um, talk to our church office about that. But uh, this morning, we're going to show you a little video having to do with children's ministries and getting connected in children's ministries. Go ahead. So uh, you have the opportunity, you can always put someone to simple sign up, you can call the church office if you want to be involved in preschool, nursery, children's, any of those kind of things. Um, and, and we definitely want you, we want you to get involved. And it's not just because we have things for you to do, which we do, we're always needing people to do stuff, um, minister to people and do things, but it's because it's beneficial for you. It's, it's, um, it's healthy to be part of the, the body of Christ. This is uh, Veterans Day weekend. And uh, so we want to we want to take a few minutes here and acknowledge and and uh, honor our veterans. All the veterans in the room, why don't you stand? And uh, we did send out um, some emails ahead of time asking for people to be. Art, you're even wearing the uniform. You should be standing. 
Um, the, uh, we, we asked if some people would wear their uniforms, because why? Because we're all a sucker for a man in uniform, right? Look at this man in this uniform. That's a good-looking man in a uniform. I was going to play a song, uh, one of the, um, well, we were going to have a medley, and it was like 10 minutes long of all of the different branches of their songs and everything. And so then I thought, well, we'll just play Anchors Away, because I think we all can get behind, <laughs> I think we can all get behind Anchors Away. And uh, apparently that was a, a little uh, prejudicial. But, um, but why don't we give all of these guys and gals a hand? We... <clears throat> I, I saw a little, a little picture on um, Facebook this morning. Um, it was a, a picture of like a beach in Florida or something. All these people were out there, hundreds of people were out there on the beach. And then it showed another picture below it and it says, the reason that you can hang out on this beach this morning is because, and it, and it shows um, uh, D-Day, and it says because people went to this beach this morning. And uh, I, th- I think, again, I know, I know I'm previous military, so I'm, I'm definitely sided on this, but but I, I don't think that some that in our country today, I think we're losing what our military has really done for us, and uh, what does what our military does all the time, that that very young men and women sign up for this thing to put themselves in harm's way so that we can be free, and I think we've got to always acknowledge that, honor that, um, we've and we've got all kinds of different. Um, history right here in this room of different war times and different situations. I noticed Dale had a shirt on um, back when he was in World War One. Just a great, just a, a great legacy that we have here uh, in this building. Um, but uh, but we definitely we we want to we want to say, and I know I'm I'm part of this, but I can say to all our military people, thank you, thank you for doing something. That sometimes you don't get thanked so much for. Um, I just remember when I was a kid and my dad, speaking of Dale, I just got back from Vietnam. And, uh, and, and some of the mentalities of that time frame, ah, it's just disgusting. I just, it, it breaks your heart to think that we as a country would do this. And, and uh, even some of the stuff with the, the NFL kneeling and stuff right now, I just, I just think sometimes we just get so self-absorbed we can't see what really is happening out there. We just get so about us. And uh, so military guys, thank you. Thank you for um, who you are and uh, what you've done for our country. Now, last week I talked about finances, and I talked about tithing. And again, to reiterate this, you understand the biggest concept of tithing is that it, it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a connection with you and God. It's an obedience with you and God. It's, a, it's an opportunity for God to bless you. Now, this morning I want to kind of go to the next step of that, and and this is where it becomes outward. Whereas tithe could be considered something that does bless other people because when you give to the kingdom of God, when you give to a local church, there's things that church at Briargate, uh, this local church, we do things with the finances to, to try to help people and bless people. And, and there's a lot of things involved with that. Now, w- with that being said, really the bigger picture of tithing is, is between you and God. It's actually a, a very personal thing. You're, you're doing that 10%. You're giving that 10%. God takes care of you. I mean, that's the, the context with it. And then it says, and then it also provides for the kingdom of God. But then there's a bigger picture of what it means to just be a giving person financially that I, that I just really briefly touched on last week. And I want to kind of open it up a little bit this morning and really look at what it means that, that, um, that whereas giving, where tithing is more about you in relationship with God and obedience and that, giving is more about other people and, and being intentional about other people. 
there's not a there's not a you mentality involved with this. It really is about uh, someone else too. And so, so I wanna I wanna do a few things with this scripture. I wanna go to Jeremiah chapter twenty nine, and I wanna I wanna go kind of on both sides of a subject that that there are scriptures that are that seem to be in opposition to each other when it comes to some of these kind of things. Now again, anytime you're looking at this really is about anything in life, but specifically when we're talking about Jesus, when we're talking about the Bible, when we're talking about anything having to do with God, um, what you believe about this actually defines your existence within the context. It, 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 that's kind of where it, it at some point locks it in, although I think if your belief is God's always bigger than, than what I think, then that keeps at least an open door as to who he is. But, but what you think about Jesus is how you will serve him. What you think about his word is how you will serve him. What you think about Jesus is actually what we would consider your theology or your worldview, and it, and it defines uh, your direction, okay? Now, that, that's good and that's bad because uh, you, have, you say, well, I know Jesus can do this, then you stand strong on that, you walk in faith with that. But if you, if you say, well, I don't think Jesus can, and he, and he really can, uh, then you're actually limiting him, okay? And so Jesus really is to some extent, well, to a great extent, within your world, Jesus is only as big as you think he is. He's only as amazing as you think he is. He's only as forgiving as you think he is. In your world, that's not who he is, but in your world, because we define how we think about Jesus. We define how we serve Jesus, those kind of things. So with that, this, this scripture in Jeremiah chapter 10, I'm going to read a few scriptures. Usually people focus on um, uh, verse 11. But I'm going to start at verse 10. We're going to read a few of these. And I want you to think how much in your mind right now, how much do you believe this, process this? How much do you think this is for you? All those things define how you look at God. All those things define how you do everything. And Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Now, if you just want to kind of take that as a generic, um, you, you can be in captivity, you can be trapped, uh, you can be whatever the case is, and then Jesus says, I'm going to come and rescue you. I'm going to come and, and uh, do the things that I've promised. This is, this is a, a big deal, I think, when we look at the, I, the idea of Jesus' promise. There's a lot of things that Jesus promises in Scripture. There's a lot of things he tells us, Old Testament, New Testament, that God tells us and promises us, and how much of it do we believe? How much of it is it really um, how we interact with God, those kind of things? And so then he says, um, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And I believe this isn't just to uh, Jeremiah or to the people that in captivity of Babylon. I believe God's saying this to all of us. But what do you think about this? How do you believe it? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Now, they're simple sentences. When you pray, I will hear you. I will listen. I will, when you look for me, you're going to find me. Do we, do we really believe that stuff? Is that something that is kind of a casual generalization that may not apply to everybody? Is that, that the way you look at it, or is that specifically for you? Do you really believe that when you call out to the Lord, he is right there and he's listening to you? Life circumstances can really dictate a lot of how we look at this stuff. 
If we feel like that, that we've called out to God and he hasn't answered, that changes the way we, we call out to God the next time or if we do call out to God. So how do you think about this stuff? Now, obviously, this is God's word. I believe that this is right now. I believe it's for us and it's, a, it's applicable, applicable to us. I, I believe he's trying to tell every single one of us in this room right now, I, I'm right here for you. If you let me be, and I do have a plan, and it includes finances. It includes, as it says here, fortunes, restoring things back to you, blessing you, promises, all this other kind of stuff. Now, again, I don't, I don't usually um, uh, go preach about this, and I don't usually go over the, the top with this kind of stuff because I think the church has taken something um, and made it kind of negative here, that God wants us all to be millionaires. Well, I don't believe that, but I do believe that that. God wants us to be blessed, and he wants to prosper you, and he wants to do things with you financially just as well as all other kind of ways. Why? Because it is a testimony of his relationship with you. <clears throat> if every single person that's ever served Jesus is always just completely broke and, and sick and everything's bad going on in their life, at some particular point, an outsider looking at this goes, I don't think I want that. Right? That's why when he says, I want to be a blessing to you so you can be a blessing to the nations. That's, that's a testimony of who God is. That's a testimony of God's provisional power in our life, that he will do stuff with us. Now, I, I think part of our responsibility with this is to say, okay, God, then I, then I own that. I do believe that you have a plan for me. I do believe that you have a future for me. E even if it doesn't seem to make sense, Right at that moment or that, that time frame, God really wants to do stuff with you. And that includes, not limited to, but it includes finances. He wants to do these kind of things. Matthew <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now, th this, is a, this is important to note here. Depending on who, who's, what book you're reading or what commentary or whatever, there's different groups that will take these particular scriptures and say, well, it's not talking about just anything in a general sense. You have to, you have to be asking um, in the vein that God is thinking. You have to be asking in his will. You have to be asking for what he wants ahead of time. And I believe there's some legitimacy to that thought process, but it doesn't actually say that here. And I think this is a little bit broader than what we could let it be sometimes. I think when you're asking God to do stuff and to to, to do things in your life and to give you and somebody, I believe that he answers like a parent um, answers. And that's part of what we're seeing here is there, this, this is tying into how a parent thinks about this. There's a lot of things that I didn't have planned ahead of time that, I, that I've given my kids over the years. There's, there's many times when specifically my kids, it took me a few years to figure this out, but um, anytime we were on a trip or vacation or something, specifically we go up to mountain towns, and there's always this one little shop in a mountain town that's a sword and knife shop. You know what I'm talking about? They're always there. And, they, and my boys are like, hey, Dad, let's go. I like swords and knives. And we go in there. And, and, and Linda eventually started going with us into there because we would come out with swords and knives. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't walk in there saying, it is my will, children, that you have a sword in the shape of a dragon. You know, that's not, that wasn't the plan. But I get in there, and my boys are looking, and they're like, cool. And I'm like, you're right. That's cool. And we buy a, a dagger with an eagle at the top, you know, because you never can have too many of those. And I, I think I, 
as, as he walks down, he's talking about parents. I, I, think, I think we limit God so much sometimes to this big guy in the sky that, that has this overarching spiritual, spiritual thing that everything you know, has to look like some kind of preconceived idea of a monk in a monastery. And, and, and I do believe that God is oftentimes just saying, I really want to have a good time with you. I really want to just hang out with you. Let's talk. Or see. Oh, you want a sword? I like swords. And my, I called my word a sword. So let's get a sword. You know, I think there's those kind of things, too, where God really likes to just do stuff for us. But here's the, here's the thing. Do you think about it like that? Do you think of God that way? Or is he, is he the big judge on the throne that's just waiting to hurt you or, or put you in hell or something? I mean, somewhere we have to see, I know God's the, the judge. I know that God's going to hold us accountable for what we're doing. I, I talk about that stuff. I know there's a hell. I know all that kind of stuff. But I also know that he's a really big, amazing God that loves us a lot and as, he, as we're going to read, the, the, the heartbeat that he puts in parents came from him. We didn't create it. Look at this. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people... In other words, even our good thinking and our, our wanting to buy the sword for the boys mentality, he says, but you sinful people, you, you're even limited. Even that heartbeat that says, I want to do good things. I want to, I want to have fun with my kids. I want to get them things. I want to do stuff. Even that is limited in comparison to how big God is in relationship to us. He wants to do things with us. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, here's the question that you have to process. Do you think you're the those in that sentence? How you define yourself in that sentence will define how you pray, how you think, how you live. Do you really believe that God's a giver to you? Do you really believe he does stuff? Now, I want to kind of turn the pages and look at a couple other scriptures that seem to be in opposition to this. How do, how, do, how do the scriptures I just read reconcile with these few scriptures? Let's look at this. James chapter 5, verse 1. Look here, you rich people. <laughs> I love the way that, okay. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. Now, that's actually an important sentence to understand the bigger context. I, I don't, let me get to that in a second. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated on their pay. The wages you held back crowd against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desires. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter, I think he's getting a little too personal with the whole fattening thing. But you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, if, if you're just reading just this, at first glance, it does not appear that God likes rich people so much. Right? Rich bad. And in today's society, boy, they'll eat that up. 
the, the rich people have become like a, a pariah on our society, according to the media and, and liberal groups. Unless you're an extremely liberal rich person, like an NFL football player or a, or a media mogul or something like that, then you're, you're exempt. But all the other rich people, bad. Is that, is that what the Lord is saying here? Because he just got through saying, I, I want to bless you. I want to return the fortunes to you. I want to do this stuff. If you want, you ask me and I'll give. And then he says, rich people bad? Except I don't think that he's saying in a general sense. I think he's saying in a general sense, how you got what you got will con- contribute to this idea. But rich people bad? See, we all have different ideas and prejudices how we look at people in society. Um, and, and usually, and specifically in nowadays society, we, we're, we do this. Um, media is trying to say that our country is a bunch of racists against skin color. Okay? There are racist people out there, but our country is not a racist country. And so there's you know, skin color. That's how we, we judge everything. Well, I, I've been a pastor now for 27 years. I see a lot of prejudices, and, and very few of those are actually skin color prejudices. But there's a lot of prejudices out there. There's prejudices against um, when in, in um, different relational contexts. There's prejudices that are uh, socioeconomic prejudices going both directions. And this is the weird thing, is going both directions. Society is really pushing right now against rich people bad. But I remember when I was a kid that, the, that poor people were considered bad. They weren't trying. They were... They were lazy. They were whatever the case is. There was prejudices against that. And so in me growing up, that was a big deal for me. I did not want to be poor because to me, that was, there was a stigma that you, were, um, that you were lazy if you were poor. Although I will say some of the hardest working times in my whole life have been when I was the poorest. I, I have one job basically right now. There's been times when I've had three and four jobs because I couldn't pay the bills. So I had to go get another job. I had to do something. Like that. And I'm working nonstop, and I had no money. But in my head, poor people, bad. Nowadays, rich people, bad. I, I don't think we're being responsible to Scripture if we're trying to put a stigma on people that Jesus is somehow backing. There's some things here that he's talking about. It's the attitude that you have when it comes along with your finances. And by the way, that can go any direction. The, the attitude that you have, ha, do, I know, do I know people that are lazy that are rich? Yes, and I know people that are lazy that are poor. God's not okay with lazy. It's the lazy that's the issue. It's not how much money you have in the bank. If you're cheating people and hurting people, it doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich, bad. That's the attitude that we're seeing that's played out. Now, obviously, in the context that he's speaking this to at this particular time and and in any place, in any setting, if you're a rich person that is manipulating and playing and lying, yeah, God's not okay with that. And your gain that you've received from that is actually going to judge you someday. That's what he's saying. Look at the, the next one, Luke chapter 18, verse 24. Jesus saw this and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this, this is one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of history you can do. And when did the actual, 
needle come along with an eye in it. I mean, I've read all kinds of stuff, and there's a gate in Israel that, that's called the eye of the needle, in particular at this time frame, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle or whatever. But here's what I would like to suggest. Let's just take it at the face value of the words that he is saying. All right? Let's just do that. Right? We don't have to know if there was a gate. We don't have to know when needles were invented that had eye hooks. It was long before this time. Let's just take it at face value because it makes it a lot more understandable in our brain than try to make it something else. He said there's a needle with an eye in it. Could be a big needle. Could be a leather needle, big eye. But it's still going to be a little challenging to get a camel through it. Let's just leave it at that. And he's saying here, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why is that? I talked about last week that there are people all through Scripture that the reason that they were so wealthy was because God made them wealthy. If this is just intrinsic that rich people are going to struggle in getting to heaven, and he's not actually trying to open us up to a bigger subject, then that means God himself was making it challenging for Solomon to serve him. God himself was making it challenging for Job to serve him. Because God made Job wealthy. God made Solomon wealthy. says that in Scripture. So what's he saying here? Then they, the, those who heard this said, then who can, in the world can be saved? Now, now, here's a good thing, because the reason they asked that question that way is because at this time frame, it was perceived to be if you were wealthy... You were godly. Now, I know it still works into Christianity today, but this was really common in the, in the 80s and the early 90s. If you were wealthy, you were godly. If you were not wealthy, you were not godly. Neither one of those are true. They, they, those, those are separate subjects. Money itself is a neutral thing. It doesn't have um, a spiritual value to it whatsoever. If you have a lot of it, it doesn't mean you're less or more spiritual. If you have none of it, it doesn't mean you're less or more spiritual. And here's what I would strongly suggest. If you have any ideas, preconceived ideas in your head as to how that should work. In other words, if you think rich people bad or poor people bad, you've got to let go of that. That is, a, that is not a, neither one of those are a biblical context. Right? Money is neutral. He says, but rich people, it's difficult for them to get to the kingdom of God. Because of the why. It's not the what. It's not the finances themselves. It's what is your heart doing to get or once you do get. I had, a, I had a pastor years ago. He used to say this all the time. And by the way, I don't necessarily believe, I don't believe this. Although the idea is kind of good. But I don't believe this. All right. But he, he would say, I'm praying that your boats will sink and your RVs will burn down. I'm like, that's not nice. He said, because you, God gives you blessings, does all this stuff, gives you wealth, and then you spend all your time running away from church and God and everything else. That is actually an issue. What do we do with what God has given us? What do we do with this? See, I, I, Scripture is pretty clear that we're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be putting our hands to something. We're supposed to be accomplishing the things. And then that gives us increase. And then from that increase, we tithe. From that increase, then we even go beyond tithe and we give. 
We do stuff. Why? Because he's given us the ability to, to make money. He's given us the ability to use our, our brains and our bodies and whatever the case is to accomplish things. And I believe to make the world better. To do, you say, well, all, you know, all I do is I, um, I mow grass. That makes the world better. I, my neighbor, well, they, and their house has been empty for four years. Nobody's been mowing that lawn for four years. It, we need the world to be better than that, especially if you live right next door to me. But these are, I mean, you could put anything into that category. God gives you the ability to do stuff, do it. And make some money doing it. That doesn't make you bad. That, that's the way God designed this thing. Put your hands to something. Make some money. Now, now we decide whether you're getting through the eye of the needle. It's not the making the money, assuming you're doing this honestly. It's not the making the money. It's now that you've got this, what are you going to do with it? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with this entire thing? So, Mark chapter 12. This is, we'll look at what are we doing with it. This is the, the answer to this subject. But I want to tell you a story first. I went to <clears throat> Africa years ago. I was uh, mid-20s and um, went over to Africa. My father-in-law was the missionary there. He had set up a bunch of places for me to go preach and do stuff. And uh, a whole, like three or four weeks of this uh, every day. Sometimes two, three times a day we were out there preaching, doing things. And I went to this little village. We drove forever to get to this village. Well, actually we drove for a very, very long time, then got out of the cars and walked for a while to get to this village. And uh, pretty good-sized village for that particular area of Africa Brought a few thousand people in this village, and and um, they, the they had some people had gotten saved in that village, and they had started a church, and they were really I mean they were really reaching that entire area for the kingdom of God. People were being healed, bunch of bunch of just amazing supernatural things going. In fact, this is this is a cool thing that happened when I walked up there. I walk up to the village. There's a bunch of people sitting on a bench outside this little uh, this little uh, hut, and uh, my father-in-law walks up and he starts introducing me to all these people. And I told this before, this is not about today, but I love this story. So, um, and so he introduced me, this is so-and-so, and he is uh, the elder of this village. This is so-and-so, and this is the son of this, per-. you know, and we go down the line. You have to give who they are, you know, their family and all that kind of stuff, and, and that's a big deal there. And so you're going down the line, and we get to the guy on the end, and my father-in-law says, this is so-and-so, and he was dead. And then he just walks off. And I'm sitting there, wait a second. Back. Well, the interpreter wasn't necessarily my father. I needed the interpreter. What do you mean he was dead? Because he's like, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, I, he was dead, but, but the guy had died, had been dead for multiple hours, and they prayed over him, and he came back to life. Now, you say, well, you know, it could have been the heart had done this, or, you know, and specifically medical people. You guys, it's hard for you to have faith sometimes. Because you know that, you know, you know he went into suspended animation in purgatory. So I don't know what, but this is, this is their testimony. The guy was dead. So I, I, I'm speaking later. There's nothing to do with what I was going to say. Now, so I'm speaking later in the, in the services, and we have these different services all through the day, and we're doing these things. And at the end of it, they had this big dinner for me, and, um, and they, they, it, they, it was goat and uh, rice and just a wonderful food. And uh, something called uh, encima, which is uh, like a really thick um, malt meal. 
and uh, with no flavor. And so we're, we're eating all this stuff and doing this. And they come in and they have this big procession and three or four women come in. The pastor comes and stands in front of me and says, we'd like to honor you. Thank you for coming to our village today and speaking for us. And they have this big bowl, a wooden bowl, and it's got a bunch of beans in it. And, and on top of the beans, they had taken an egg and, and set it down in there. And then they handed this. This is my offering. They handed this to me because I came and spoke, and then they handed me some money that they had collected, and in American money, it had come to about 37 cents. And they had got all this, and they had this big procession, and they were singing, and they were thanking me, and everybody was clapping and shaking my hand, all this kind of stuff. And I said in English, there's only two people in the room that knew English besides me, my father-in-law and the interpreter, and the interpreter was standing over to the side, and he was waiting. And I said, well, I, I thank you for this gift. And I started to say, and I can't accept this. Because why? These people are poor. About halfway through dinner, I had found out that there was one goat in the village. We were eating him. They had killed a goat for me. The only goat in the village. And they had collected all this stuff and collected this money and all these other things. And by the way, they had taken up an offering in the service for their new building they were building. They were making their own bricks and everything. And I put a $20 American, $20 bill in the offering. That was like a year's salary for the pastor. And they bring me $0.37 cents and some beans and an egg. And, and I was humbled by this. I can't take this. They need these beans. They need that egg. And I said... Thank you for this, but, and my father-in-law grabbed my arm, and he said, you shut up, and you take it. And, uh, and, and he didn't talk to me like that usually, so I got my attention. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, okay, and he told me later, we had we'd driven all the way back, and the next day, or later that night, or whatever, and, and he, said, he said, Scott, when, when God says that he wants you to tithe 10%, who's he saying that to? I said, well, me. Who else? Everybody, I guess. What about that village? Well, I mean, they don't really have it. He said, and there's your problem. He said, you think that God is saying this to you because you have the 10%. He's saying this to you because you have more money than they do. He said, tithing is a universal principle. God does this because he wants to bless those people, but he wants their heart. He wants them all in. It doesn't matter whether you live in a village in Africa or you live in a wealthy part of Colorado Springs. God wants you all in at all times. He said, then on top of that, they want to bless you because you came to their village. You came all the way across the world to come to their little village and speak to them. And they want to bless you with a goat and some beans. How dare you not let them do that? That is American arrogance on your part that says that. It changed my worldview. And I realized I was, I was being an, Ameri an, Ameri an arrogant American. We have a lot. They have little. So they don't need to be blessed by God. Or they don't need to do this stuff. Because what I was saying in, in some sense is they're not actually blessing me with these beans and this egg. Although it was, it was humbling to me. And he said, if you, if you send it back, you're saying that's not worthy. And here's what God wants to do with all of us. He wants you all in. He wants you to have a giving attitude and a giving mentality. He wants you. Does, it, does he say that rich people are not going to go to hell? He says, no, it's difficult for them because sometimes the money gets in our head and our heart and we miss what God is trying to do. 
And we take things for granted or we don't look at people and really care for people. God wants us to care for people. There are souls all over this planet that need God. We have this unique opportunity in America to be able to give financially and help those souls in other places of the planet know God. Even if you don't get up and go yourself, you can send people. You can send missionaries. You can do these things. There are people right here in Colorado Springs that you may not interact with. But we have groups of people in our church that do, and we try to help finance these things. There are ministries in Colorado Springs that we put money to that are helping to reach people that you will never come across their paths right here in Colorado Springs. And God God will bless you for this. Why? Because when you give, you're doing what he has designed you to do. You're doing something that is his heartbeat. God's a giver. He's not a taker. He's a giver, and he wants you to be a giver too. And that includes your money. That's part of it. He also wants you to give time and energy. He wants you to give prayer. He wants you to give your heart to things. But one of the things that you have, and this is a big one for us, is money. And he wants us to do this. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money. He wants you to give it. He wants you to be a giver. Well, I have lots of money. He wants you to be a giver. It doesn't have to do with the amount. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. And he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Now, I, I love this. Here's something you, want, you might want to process a little bit. Jesus intentionally went and sat down and watched who was giving and what they were giving. That's pretty invasive. Jesus got up in their business. He sat right down by the collection box and watched every single person that came and put money in. Every single hand that moved. He watched them. Why? Because he's concerned. Now, Here's what you need to think about. Because I know, I talked about this last week. Church is always asking for money. Well, here's the reality. Every group out there is always asking for money. Everybody's asking for money. That's why I talked a lot about this last week. I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want to be a church always begging for money. But I do know it's a big deal to the Lord. And he wants to watch what you're doing. He wants to watch what you're giving. And he wants you to be very intentional about it. Because he's very intentional about it. He's very intentional about it. You, you pay attention to every, every penny coming to you. If you're intentional about that, shouldn't you be intentional about every penny that can be accomplishing things? And so he sits down, he's paying attention, he's watching every single person. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus asked this, this, this called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow, and I believe she's standing there, okay? I believe Jesus calls her, I mean, he calls the disciples over because she's still standing. She puts the coins in, she's standing there, and he calls the disciples over and says, see her? And I don't think that just the disciples heard this. I think there was people standing around that heard this. Some of the rich, some of the poor, some, whatever. They're all standing around, and Jesus calls the disciples and says, look at this woman. I also think she heard all of this. Look at this woman. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Here's a couple things you may have never noticed about this. 
Jesus does not say, man, please don't give that. That's too much. Now, this is going to get in our heads a little bit. He does not tell her not to give it. He just said she's giving the money that she needs to live on. But he didn't tell her not to give it. There has been a few times, and I won't go into details, but a few times in Lynn and I's life when we did not have anything. And I don't mean... I, I get irritated sometimes when I hear people in today's society talk about being poor because most people that I hear talk about being poor are really not poor. I've been poor, poor. I've been dirt poor where we didn't have enough money to put groceries in the kitchen. We didn't have enough money to put gas in the car and I rode my bike to the church I was pastoring. I, I've been poor. Where people say, I, I, I'm poor. I've only eaten out four times this week, and I can't eat out a fifth. I don't, I don't know what to do. We're going to go hungry. Those kind, I mean, that kind of stuff bothers me. It really does. But here's the thing is during those times, two times in specific, one time when we actually had a little bit of money, but two times when we were very, very poor, and I had a little bit of money I had worked for, and I had it in my pocket, And I know that God said, I want you to give this in an offering. That's a little difficult. I got little kids. I'm trying to figure out how to feed the little kids. And God says, and and one of them in particular, I had $127 in my pocket. And God said, I want you to give it. Okay. Because why? You're in charge, God. I'm not. Let me give you the rest of the story. I'm alive. My kids are alive. We survived. We did. I even put on a little weight since then. God's really big, guys. He is. But he wants you all in. And he wants you all in financially. And he says about this woman, she's getting it. She's got it in her head and her spirit. She's getting it. She's giving this to the kingdom of God. We don't know what happened to that. It didn't say, and then that money provided this so that four people could know that God has got None of that. Jesus just said, look at what she gave. This is what I'm talking about. This is a, this is a heart and an attitude that we'll sh- we should have. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Listen to this. These thoughts dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Look at it again. What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. This convicts me on a regular basis. Why? Because apparently, oftentimes, I'm an unbeliever. Because those things dominate my thoughts. And then I pray, God, help me get that out of my mind and just search for you. Just get with you. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And, and I think part of what he's saying here is, you're praying for all this stuff, which is not bad. Why don't you pray for the kingdom of God to be established? Why don't you go more for that? God already knows your needs. Why don't you pray for bigger stuff? Now, again, I don't think, I read the scripture earlier, you know, ask, seek, whatever you, whatever you ask for, he'll give you. I think there's nothing wrong with saying, God, you know, we can't pay the bills. We need you to provide. We need you, you know, I, I get that. There, he's not saying don't do that, but he's saying, look, If that's all that you're thinking about, when do you think about the things of God? When do you think about God doing stuff? Not just providing for you, but doing stuff, changing the world. 
doing things. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So, so four things about focuses of finances. Our hearts are about the Lord. If, if, if we're really going to get our mind right about finances, we've got to start with our hearts are about the Lord. The second thing is our lives are about the Lord. If we can not just what my heartbeat is, but Lord, am I really trying to make my life, the things of my life, be about you? The third thing is our work and finances are also about the Lord. You get up and go to work, that's about the Lord. When you get a paycheck, that's about the Lord. It's not just about you going to work and you getting a paycheck. It's about God. This is God stuff. This is God things. We've, we've got to make that shift in, in all the different areas of our life. And then the fourth one is plant and God will give you the increase. If you do stuff with your finances, he will do things back. You give to the kingdom of God. You give to missions. You, you, you help a kid go to camp. You help your neighbor down the road. You know that's struggling. You know that there's a family in your neighborhood that's going to struggle this Thanksgiving. Invi- invite them over for Thanksgiving dinner. Or just buy a big Thanksgiving dinner and have it sent to their house. Don't tell them who did it. You want to ha- have a fun Thanksgiving? Don't tell them who did it. And later, two or three weeks later, when you're taking the trash can out to the curb, they go, you would not believe this. Somebody got this whole thing. You go, what? I, man, God will do some big stuff in your spirit and your heart. And, may, and probably even, I was about to say maybe, but probably even financially he'll do some stuff. Just be a giver. Be a blessing person. Be somebody that cares and does, that, that you're planting something. Look at this, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You can't take that scripture any other way. I've had people try to spin it. Well, it's not about money. What else is it about? What could it possibly be about? He's saying, What you do, that determines what you get. Do some stuff. Now, obviously, you know, we have places we want you to financially contribute. We want you to be a missions-giving person. We want you to, but here's the deal. There's a lot of places in in your life, in your world, in in society that you can do stuff that has nothing to do with, you know, church at Briargate. Be a giver. Let God do some stuff. Bless some people and see what God does with it in return. Why don't you stand with me? So, I I, want to pray that God put something on your heart and your spirit specifically right now. Now, I I think the idea of giving and being a giver of missions and, and, um, you know, things like that. Building fun. I mentioned that a little bit last week. Those kind of things. Your neighbor down the road. I, I... I think that that's a heart and an attitude, directional thing in life. I don't think it's a moment in time. But a lot of moments in time will determine that, right? And so here's what I would like to suggest, and I don't want to box you in too much with this because I don't know exactly how God's going to do this with all of you in here. I know how God kind of does this with me sometimes. But I I want us to pray, and here's what I would like to suggest, that as we're praying, that you say, God, what's something very specific? Maybe even around this Thanksgiving time frame. What is something very specific that you want me to do? 
Because God has specific plans. God's a specific, very detailed-oriented guy. So start there and let that be a, um, a starting point to wherever you are. You may be a giver, you may not be a giver. Wherever you are in this, that God can open your heart up and you be more. Wherever you are, be more. I want to give. I want to do. I want to do these things. Let's pray. God, we ask you to open our spirit up to you. Lord, I know. I know that you're a giver. You want to bless people in this room. But Lord, sometimes I believe we stop that because we're too self-absorbed. God, help us to, to, to relax about just finances in a general sense and let you be in charge. God, I pray again, if there's anybody in this room that's not a tither, Lord, stir their heart to tithe. Let them see how amazing this is. God, you said that we could test you on this. Let them test you. Let them see. And then God, show them amazing stuff. God, for those that are already even tithers, Lord, open up our heart that we'll be bigger givers. That there are missionaries that need us to be givers. Lord, that there are families in our, in our area of influence that need us to be givers. That there are people that we know that are struggling. Help us to be givers. And God, I do thank you. I, I, I do see this around here. I do see our church. I think we're pretty good with this. But Lord, I know you want to pull us closer. And so Lord, help us to see it. Help us to get it. And God, I pray specifically right now for every person in this room that you can give them something very specific um, to do in the next couple weeks, something very intentional that will help somebody know who you are. Lord, help us to fight against getting credit for it. Help us to fight against it being about us or, or something else. But Lord, help us to be a blessing to people. Help us to be a blessing to your kingdom. That somebody will know you because we do something for them. Jesus. And Lord, I pray, I pray specifically also that, that it'll be sacrificial on our part. That it'll truly be sacrificial. That it's not, it's not just something we have, you know, we got a little excess sitting around. God, help us to dig in and be sacrificial. We thank you for this. Lord, bless us with you and bless us financially. I pray, I pray that on every family in our church, every person, every teenager, every child, every adult in our church, that you will bless us financially. And then, God, that we will use it for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I, I normally would not ask this, but I want to, I want to do this. And, and you just totally... You decide what you want to do with this. If God has put something in your heart this morning, I'm hoping that he has, and, and you follow through with it, if you want to share that with me, I would love to get a little email from you that you said, hey, God put this in my heart and I did this. I, I, I did this. And even if you don't see results from it, even if you don't know, you know, you just did something anonymously and you had to talk to him. But I, I'm not going to share it. I promise I'm not going to get up and share it unless you say that I can. But I had this story this week. I've been counseling somebody that doesn't live around here. I counsel them online, uh, like go to meetings. And I asked her if I could share this. It's been a couple years since she had tithed. And she was, she, about four or five months ago, she started tithing. And she went back to all of her work records. And she began to look down through her work records. And the day she started tithing, 
her work started going off the charts. She has made over $600,000 extra for her company during the last few months because of this. She showed me the record. She said, I can't, you can't argue with this, can you? I said, no, this is legitimate. And, and on top of that, she just got word last week that she was going to be promoted in a situation where there's probably a handful of other people that should have been promoted before her. And she's going to be promoted. And, and she said to me, I know this is because I started doing what God told me to do. Guys, God's pretty big. God's pretty big. Let's let him be big. Email me if you like. Email me if you like. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how wonderful they look, specifically if they're in a uniform of Navy type. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.